Hello, hello. Gonna fade it right on out. Welcome, everybody. How you guys doing? Yeah, good. Okay, awesome. Well, cool. Uh, hello, welcome. Get your if you're still getting your snacky snacks. Haven't gotten your snacky snacks. You may go and get some snacky snacks now if you need to. So we do have like two hours budgeted for this time. I do not plan on taking that long, but just you know, I'm, we're gonna get into it, you know. And so for for these different practical training night times, yeah, the goal is for us to really just kind of dig into something, provide a lot of content, and, you know, hopefully you guys will just be ready to just grab at the certain things that really stick out to you. You'll have some notes there for you, so you can write on that, some blanks, as well as just wherever else you want to, you know, write. Um, any other things that come to mind as we're, as I'm talking, and as you guys are discussing, there will be a little bit of discussion time too as well. And that'll hopefully kind of mix things up so that we're not, you're not too, don't get too tired of hearing me. <laughs> Sound good? So how was Wednesday night this past Wednesday you guys had? Was it good? Yeah? Gary and Joni, they did okay? Yeah? <laughs> great, great. What was, um, help me, what was one thing that stood out to one of you about uh, what you heard on Wednesday? Overview of the heart attitudes. Pop quiz, sorry. Putting others' interests above our own. That's right. And I think, I think they might talk about, was that the first one? Does anybody know? <laughs> That's going to come up tomorrow as well. And it'll actually come up a little bit tonight. Ooh, I know. I'm going to sprinkle some character into our practical training tonight, if that's okay, if that's okay with you. And so, any other, um, yeah, takeaway from last Wednesday, character training with Gary and Joni. Jesse. Mm -hmm. Perspectives, values, they come from our desires that are just negative, positive. They just happen but we filter those desires through their perspectives and our values, and that's what creates our behavior. So that's really important. And so we need to craft those values and perspectives so that they produce the right output, right behavior, right? So that's great. So I'm here to talk to you tonight. So I posted in Snapchat about what we're talking about, and that was the first peep that I've even given of what we're, we're doing tonight. And every practical training for the next tonight, including tonight, seven weeks, seven Tuesdays of practical training night, we've hand-selected just various things that maybe haven't come up in challenge recently or, and or just practical things that me and we as a staff just found to be valuable that you guys should really be thinking about in all of these things, no matter how practical they get, we're going to be looking at what the Bible has to say about it, and we're going to get some godly perspectives in the midst of this. And yes, some of it will kind of be similar to what we learn about in character training night um, on Wednesdays. So glad you guys are here. We're going to dive in, and we're going to start basically with a discussion 
We're going to be going back and forth a little bit, like I said. But let's start with three to five minutes at your table discussing this quote. Is it up? It's not up. Okay. The best investment in tomorrow is to develop your influence today. The best investment in tomorrow is to develop your influence today by John C. Maxwell. And I guess for some context, John C. Maxwell is a leadership guru. He's an author and speaker. And this is a quote of his from a, a popular book, the Developing the Leader Within You. And so discuss this at your table. I'm going to set a timer. And uh, we'll just talk about that for a little bit before we get into it. And sorry, this, there is a little question. Do you agree with this quote? Why do you think it's true? Or why do you think it's, why do you not agree with it? Um, just discuss together about that. Thanks. There will be other, uh, there will be other things. So regardless of whether that quote is 100% accurate, I do, it seems like a little bit of, a, of an overstatement perhaps. I don't know. Whenever somebody tells me that something always happens or this is the best thing or this never happens, like I, I don't tend to like, gravitate to that way of communicating. So is it the best? I'm not sure. I haven't checked all the options. I'm pretty sure it's pretty good to develop your influence today. Uh, the best investment tomorrow. And when it says tomorrow, it's talking about our future, right? And so why is it so important, I guess? If it's pretty important enough for him to say that, especially with John Maxwell, with his degree of experience, in leadership and working with people, then why is this subject of influence so crucial? And I want to explore that. And the reason that Maxwell brings us in this book, so in developing the leader within you, this is what, where this quote's from, later on in chapter one, he's, he backs up this quote by saying that if you have the desire to accomplish something you will be in a better place to do it if others are willing to help, okay? And this is all in that first chapter, like I said, and that chapter is about how leadership, or rather, influence is the definition of leadership, he says. Influence is the definition of leadership. And so, once again, you might be like, oh, that's kind of odd, you know. And you also might not think of yourself as a leader right now, but I, I assure you that in some way, you have some influence with somebody. And because of that, I think you are in that way a leader. And I think that you will at least grow into leadership, be it a role or just be it some degree of influence that you're going to have in your life. So that chapter, like I said, is about influence as the definition of leadership. And so now, as you can see from that, that second quote I mentioned, talking about how um, we need other people to accomplish something, right? So this isn't like a Christian book that he's writing here. And so Maxwell's sort of angle is from a more networking, uh, collaboration, getting things done, succeeding in a professional kind of way. That's kind of where he's coming from. And that's not always, you know, where I'm coming from as far as my life and what I'm trying to work toward or live for. But I can say that your ability to cultivate influence is going to strengthen you across the board 
across all areas of life, I think. And so that has to do with like the academic area of life, with the way you act and work with teachers or professors and classmates, and then also with uh, the professional area of life, where you have a job, you got your boss, you've got coworkers, and there's these different people, different relationships that you are working with socially. You've got the personal element of life where you've got different people. You might have a spouse one day. You have roommates, perhaps, right now that you got to work with in a relational way. All these different things apply to influence and the kind of what happens when we influence other people. And I do think that this applies to our spiritual lives as well. So all these different things, academic, professional, personal, but also spiritual. You and I, I think, have a higher calling than those who are just living for themselves, who are trying to climb the social or corporate ladder. We have something more that we're aiming for. I think that's why we're in Chico Project, I would say. We're going for the kind of influence that has an eternal impact. And so when it comes to the, develop, the influence that we're developing today, we want influence that it's going to have an eternal impact. And in that way, that truly does change the future. That changes our tomorrow and the tomorrows of people around us if we are living with eternal influence in mind. In Luke 2.52, this is at the very beginning of Luke's account of Jesus' life. It says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And that tells us that one of the key areas of Jesus' life as he prepared for his earthly ministry was obtaining favor with God and man. And we're going to look at what kind of what that word means, what that has to do with what we're talking about. But then at the end of Jesus' ministry, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, um, I, okay, I will single some of you out. Who here has read chapter one of The Finishers by now? We got some? Okay, wow, that's, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good spread, right on. You're not, you're not all waiting for until Thursday, are you? Okay, so you've probably already come into contact with this this. The passage that I'm about to say, right? The Great Commission. The finishers is all about that, that idea, and how we, as followers of Christ, as disciples, can, can make disciples to the extent that we are perhaps able to fulfill the Great Commission, to finish the Great Commission. I'm going to read it for us right now. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, this, this call to make disciples, this has people in mind. I can't make disciples of a rock. I can't make disciples of a dog. <laughs> I don't know. There's these, all these different things that don't have to do with influence that have nothing to do with the Great Commission. And so I do believe that if we can 
extend our influence, we can perhaps be more effective at at the Great Commission that that Jesus gave us, that Jesus gave to his disciples to pass on to, to us, to all his disciples. And so I think the Great Commission is going to be accomplished by two things. First and foremost, I will say that, first and foremost, God's power at work within us is going to be what accomplishes Great Commission, right? That is the, the, the primary tool here. He and we understand that we are not able to do this on our own, but God's power is able to help us to finish, to, to go for the Great Commission, right? And But then secondly, our influence in the lives of other people is also going to help us accomplish the Great Commission, okay? And so that's why I think... I think this is pretty important. And so I hope that you're, you're with me on that. You can understand, all right, like this idea of influence uh, matters to me. And I don't know where you are at in terms of your own feeling of, oh, how influential am I? I know for myself, when I, when I was growing up, I was a pretty self-conscious person and I felt very just insecure about what I could, I don't know, bring to the table socially, really. And, and so my way of dealing with that was to mostly disengage, disengage from people. And I didn't really want to deal with that because I knew I wasn't great at that. My strengths were more with just practical working with my hands. I don't know, something that wasn't working with people and obtaining their influence. And then over time, as I've learned about making disciples, and really wrapping my head around what Jesus wants us to do with his power in us, with his spirit in us, I've come to realize how important it is for me to cultivate my influence just as a person, as a follower of Christ. Because there is a world of people out there who are in desperate need of the message of salvation. And we have that, and if we can increase the influence that we already in some measure have, then perhaps that we can make this, uh, really make this a reality and be more effective with, uh, with the Great Commission. So you guys with me? Yeah, okay, maybe. We're, we're, still, we're still thinking about it. Let me pray for us before we go on. Father, thank you so much for bringing us here and for giving us this opportunity to engage with you and with your word and with your people through um, Chico Project for this, this opportunity, God. And so I pray now that you would just soften our hearts to hear not what I have to say, but what you had to say to each one of us about what it means for us to live in an influential way, in a way that brings you and not us glory, in a way that brings you glory, not us And so I pray that that would be on our hearts, that we would move forward from this just with a deeper understanding of how you can use us in the different ways that you have gifted us and built us um, in order to just do your work uh, while we're here on earth. So thank you so much, Lord, for that opportunity to work with you in the lives of people. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Okay. We got blanks now. You excited? I don't know. Do people like blanks? It, maybe it gets your brain mo- moving a little bit more. I'm not sure. But 
So first blank I have. So first of all, what is influence? I want to call, tackle that first. And one way we can do this is by asking, what does the Bible have to say about influence? And that's mostly what I'm after here, to, to define influence for us so that we can understand better what to do with it or how to get it, <laughs> okay? And so biblical influence first, biblical influence is termed as favor. So that's your first little blank, favor. There it is. So you might notice, or maybe you've noticed, I don't know, I've experienced this where I've, I've read the Bible and or searched on maybe the Bible app or something or in my in the physical thing, but if you look for the word influence, you're probably not going to find a lot. And I've, like I said, I've experienced that. I was just like, what do I do with this? But as I've interacted with texts and figured out, wait a second, no, it's in here, but it's just called something different. And so a lot of the time, the word favor is what's used. In that passage, Luke, Luke 2, it's talking about Jesus increasing in favor with God and man. And we also see this, bear in mind too, that people can increase in favor with God and favor with man. And so favor with God is like our relationship with God and the way we improve in our faithfulness to God uh, and really relate to him in a way that is honoring to him, right? That's how we gain favor with God. Favor with man, favor with people, that's what we're after in in the context of the influence discussion. And so we want to grow in favor with God and with man. And we see in the Bible that uh, we can obtain those things if we do certain things. And so Proverbs 22, 1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Okay? So it's just like raising the stakes sort of. This is really important. That's what I was trying to tell you. I don't interact with a lot of silver or gold or great riches on a daily basis. So it's kind of far-fetched to me. But um, you can understand, like, this is really important. This is serious. Favor is better than silver or gold. So next, number two, biblical influence is earned through the way we treat people and get things done. The way we treat people and get things done. There are so many stories in God's word that just talk about how just almost with no commentary, just what happens when God's people do God's work in God's way. And we see it go well for them. And so when we're choosing to honor God with our lives and with our actions and with our words, the way we talk to people, um, what tends to happen is that we, we win favor with, with, God, with uh, people as well. And so these things go hand in hand. And so the way we treat people, the way we get things done. We see this, I think, really strongly in Proverbs 3, 3 through 4. It's written there, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. And so we're starting to get some understanding of how we cultivate influence here, how we cultivate this favor with, with people. And so love and faithfulness, and it really emphasizes this point, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. This is so crucial, right, that we let love and faithfulness never leave you. And I see when I read these two words, I think, 
our love has to do with the way we treat people and how we, uh, once again, talk to them and socialize with them and act toward them and speak and serve kindly in all these different ways. And then faithfulness has a lot to do with how we get things done. We have certain duties or responsibilities in front of us. And if we do them well and responsibly, uh, just like I was talking about uh, last week with FAT, faithfulness, availability, teachability, right? Faithfulness is just taking what we've been given and doing it well and doing it with excellence. And so Proverbs 3, 3 through 4 talks about those two ideas. There's a story in the Bible about a man named Joseph who is familiar with Joseph from the Bible. And if you're not, that's, that's very okay. Not a problem. And so what happens to Joseph is he starts off with a very not good amount of influence because what happens, he's a, chi- he's a kid, but his 10 older brothers become jealous of him and they sell him into slavery. Have you guys done that with your siblings? Ah, classic. Yeah, sell them. <laughs> Ship them off to the Egyptians. <laughs> never done that. So pretty wild stuff. Uh, yeah, we've never, we've never done that before. That's good to hear. So he's there. And, and so he, he kind of landed them, you know, he didn't deserve that. But they were sort of like, man, this guy sucks. Like, you know, he did not have very much influence with his brothers in that sense. But then once he lands in Egypt as a slave, so think about this. That's like the lowest like, place you can be like in society, right? I don't know. It's hard to picture much lower than that in terms of just in ancient times, a slave. Uh, yeah, and so what kind of influence could somebody possibly have, especially if you're linking it to leadership and authority and having some sort of dominance over people, right? It's like, that is little influence. That's not very much. But we can read in his story about how he still actually cultivates that even in his very bad situation. It says, Genesis 39, two through five, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And his master made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. Oh yeah, that's, that's right, it bleeds over. House and field. And so, before I move on, I'm kind of curious, like, think about this a little bit with me. How does, how does your employer feel about you? I don't know, whoever of you has a job here, just think to yourself, like, okay, is my degree of service or work to the people I work for, or the person I work for, is that giving them the same level of, like, blessing that Joseph is giving Uh, his master in this context. I don't know. That's just something, just a thought to process maybe. It's like how, so, but that tells us something. It's an example of like, okay, this is the kind of excellence that gets favor from 
somebody like this master, and it actually enables somebody in a low position like Joseph to be able to move up in this chain. And he is given all these different responsibilities, and he's actually able to gain this influence and trust from this master of his in Egypt. And so that's a really key example to me about winning somebody's influence in spite of just what kind of circumstances you might be in. Next verse, 1 Timothy 4.12, it says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And so this is a verse, this is a within the book of Timothy. It was a letter from Paul, the Apostle Paul, to Timothy. Timothy was put in charge of a certain group of believers, a certain church, and He's having a hard time probably because he was probably a lot younger than some of these other people in this church. And he doesn't have their respect because he's not experienced it like them. He doesn't have this seniority. And Paul is not telling him to uh, get sassy about it or to try and like show his, you know, prove himself, you know, or in some sort of like uh, bitter way. You know, these people are despising him for his youth, but rather set the believers in an example. And then it lists these five words, speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. And it's like, that's a nice, that's a nice set of words. I don't know. You know, like when there's lists in the Bible, you're like, that's, those are nice things, <laughs> you know, sometimes. But it's good. It's important to understand like how, what these mean. And actually, I do, I remember Neil Walker the director of challenge at USC. I was sitting at a table with him at a spring break once, and I remember him mentioning this verse, actually. And one thing he said is that these first two words, speech and conduct, those are kind of two broad categories of things that we do. Speech is the way you talk. Conduct, the way, what you do, right? And so these are two big categories. And he, he, would, he told me, he told us at this table that we should be applying these other three words to each of those first two words. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, look at this. So what we have, and this is written on your thing. You can fill in this little table I've made. But basically, on one side, you have speech at the top and conduct. And under each of those, you want to bear in mind acting with love, faith, and purity. As you're writing that, you know, think to yourself, okay, speech, excuse me, speech. Is your speech, is the way you talk to people loving? Is your speech faith-filled? Is it relying on God? Is it trusting in God? Is it setting an example of, hey, this is what it means to be a Christian? And then is your speech pure? Are you, is what you're saying, the jokes you're telling, the different things that come out of your mouth, is that a pure thing? And then apply that to conduct, right? Is what you do loving to other people? And what about, uh, is it full of faith? Is it faith-filled what you do? And is your conduct pure? And so let's take another five minutes. Do you guys want five minutes? We'll give you five minutes to talk about what are some examples of ways you can treat people and get things done 
that would increase your influence. And you can also talk about, okay, what are some ways that I can um, use my speech for, you know, get specific on me. Don't, don't go just like, oh, I'll be like, I'll speak lovingly. Like really try and like, you know, kind of ring this out a little bit to go, okay, what's a loving thing to say to somebody? Or what's a faithful thing to say about, about all this? So just basically come up for yourselves among your table. Just what are some ways of acting, speaking, uh, and treating people that are going to be uh, reflective of these things and increase your influence? So go ahead and talk about that now. You can always continue your conversations, your uh, deep conversations about these topics later. Uh, so, moving on, we've got, what have we got so far? One, biblical influence is termed as favor. That's what they call it. Number two, biblical influence is earned through the way we treat people and get things done. Three, biblical influence is God-given. Biblical influence is God-given. Now, this is uh, interesting to me as I read about this, because, yeah, we see people like Joseph and others kind of just earning this trust from people, this influence. But then we also see God's sovereignty ultimately is what just decides, basically, someone's influence in one way or another, okay? So that is this superseding factor. You, can, you and I can do whatever we want to do to try and earn somebody's influence. Ultimately, it is up to God, okay? And so that is something that we need to understand. It's worthwhile to understand that it's not merely your effort, okay? And there's almost some comfort to that, to know this is not purely up to you. But as we'll talk about at some point, there are practical ways that we can, uh, you know, get this influence and trust with people. But it's God-given. Psalm 75, 6 through 7 says, For not from the east or from the west, and not from the wilderness comes lifting up. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. What a strange verse. I don't know. Whenever I read that, I just... I feel like the thinking emoji, you know, is just kind of, you know, it's very deep and complex to me, you know, just very bizarre, executing judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. But what that tells me is that God is sovereign over all things and the, the, the winds of what happens or who's in power or favor with anybody is ultimately up to God. He's the one who, who raises up some to be a leader, to have influence, and he, and he puts down others. And he does this from his sovereign will. It's not always a matter of good guys and bad guys or whatever, but this is this thing that, that God enables to happen um, in his timing. But I do believe that if we are faithful with what we're given, like, like someone like Joseph, then God is going to honor that. He's going to reward that uh, with some measure of influence. And so we actually, we read this too. As we continue the story of Joseph, we're not going to finish this whole narrative right here, but later in Genesis 39, well, after he wins all this favor with his master, Joseph does, he's still a slave and he gets framed for a crime against this master's wife. He's framed for rape. And, well, his master's not pleased by that. 
He throws him in prison. And so all that he worked for, just he built up with this person, his, this influence, this trust was just zeroed out. I don't know. I think prison actually might be a little bit lower than slavery at that point. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how it was in Egypt. But basically, we see even in this prison situation that he's able to climb these ranks. And so we read this in verses 21 and 23 through 23. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. And so I kind of emphasized it there. The Lord gave him favor in the sight of this this guy. And I think it has to do with Joseph's faithfulness, Joseph's diligence, his trustworthiness in spite of being a prisoner. But ultimately, God gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And so it ultimately comes from God. We cannot necessarily just coerce it on our own. Fourth, biblical influence is built into our effort to make disciples. It's built into our effort to make disciples. And so I already kind of touched on this toward the beginning and, uh, but this is important to really, I'm going to maybe get to this again later because it's so crucial that we understand all that we're trying to do to earn people's favor and do good in our, in wherever we've been placed, in our society, in our job, in our school, as we do well in all these different areas to the glory of God, making sure that it's for, that it's for the glory of God, making sure that our social influence and status that we might achieve is ultimately pushed toward this God-glorifying, disciple-making end. That's our goal here. So don't, don't get that confused. So Matthew 5, 13 through 16, this is Jesus speaking. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so... This, this passage talks about these different kind of metaphors of our attractiveness as God's people to attract people, not to ourselves, but to God ultimately, right? And so we see that in terms of salt, in terms of a city on a hill, in terms of a light, in, in all these different ways. And so in ESV study Bible, this is just a study Bible I have. It's really helpful. It has this little little note next to this that says, as salt is beneficial in a number of ways, as a preservative, as a seasoning, etc., so are disciples of Jesus who influence the world for good. Okay? And so we're called to be influencing the world for good by Jesus. 
And I think this comes into play in various ways. It comes into play in terms of just influencing the world for good in our society in general, influencing the world for good with the individuals that you impact and make their world good. And, and then that just continues a ripple effect, a domino effect. And then also influencing the world for good for the gospel, bettering the world by giving more people a taste of what it means to follow Christ, of what it means to experience new life in him. That's what you and I are trying to achieve through any influence that we might achieve here on earth. Influence is to be sought after. It is to be developed, but it is not for you. And that's, that's the beauty of it. It's not trying to obtain something for ourselves in a kind of individualistic way, trying to climb a ladder. No, this is for God. And so that's, that's the end of the, that particular area, that section, different areas of biblical influence. I want to talk about how to obtain it. I was thinking of taking a 10-minute break. Would that be suitable to you all? Let's do it. take a 10-minute break. So I'll resume in about 10 minutes. Just hang out, grab some snacks, do what you want to do. So as you guys are sitting back down, grabbing a snack or whatever, so I want to transition now. We've talked a bit about the why and the what of tonight's subject, about cultivating influence. So next that I want to do is how, the how, <laughs> of obtaining influence. I should start, though, and I want to do this, with how not to obtain influence. And there's a chance even that you heard the word influence today and went kind of, oh, that's kind of strange. Perhaps you might even have a negative association with that. It can mean a lot of different things. I don't know, like, a thing that pops in my head is, like, driving under the influence, DUI. Like, ooh, not bad. You know, I don't know. There's, like, various things you might feel when you hear the word. And there's a chance that some of these might come from uh, bad influences in your life or some things, maybe people that obtained influence or used influence in kind of a negative way. And so I want to acknowledge that. And so we can understand, okay, here's how we don't seek this out, okay? And this first little list I have is called the tactics of a manipulative leader. And I actually... Just full disclosure, I got this from a website. It's from johnmaxwell.com, and it's this pretty just helpful little article about persuasive leaders versus manipulative leaders. And I felt that this was just a helpful kind of three, three points about manipulative leaders. This is what we're not going for. Because you might be wondering, what's the difference between manipulation and influence? And it's important to figure that out so that we don't go doing the wrong one, right? And so the first, the first tactic of a manipulative leader is that they misuse or abuse power. Misuse or abuse power. So people have been given different amounts of authority in their life. And maybe they have some semblance of authority, of power, and they, they don't use it correctly. And... Uh, in Matthew 20, 25 through 28, Jesus warns against that. He says, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise 
authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so that's the idea here. We're not trying to exercise our authority or lord it over people in such a way that it causes them to feel small. It maybe goes for the wrong uh, reasons. All these different ways that people have abused power in the past. There's been a lot of influential people in history, and the good influential people, they did change the world in some really incredible beneficial ways. And there's been bad people who have changed the world, and they too were influential, and, but they, one of the things that they do is they misuse or abuse power. And so that's one of these things here. So two, manipulative leaders fabricate or withhold information. Fabricate or withhold information. Proverbs 19, verse 1 says, Better a poor person who lives with integrity than someone who has deceitful lips and is a fool. And so we want to make sure that there's no trace of deceit in our communication with people. And I think that's really important. Some people will try to make a point to followers or to people they're trying to influence by trying to kind of overstating it or exaggerating or just making stuff up, basically. And so that's not something we're trying to do. We're not trying to kind of twist the truth in order to get what we want, right? We, you can think of maybe a used car salesman, right? That's kind of a negative negative association, used car salesman. Because what they're going to do is trump up the, the good attributes of the used car. They're going to make it sound better than it is, and they're going to de- just like not mention really all these negative qualities of this used car, and you might get really ripped off, basically. And so you, they, these manipulative leaders just rip people off, really, with this lack of information they supply through deceit. And so the third thing is that they prey on the emotions of others. They prey on the emotions of others. And so, two emotions that come to mind here is things like fear and hope. So fear, thinking about that, well, Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And so, as a leader, as any kind of person of influence, you can maybe get a little bit done by instilling fear in people, saying, hey, if you don't do... Thursday's assignments, you're in very big trouble. And, you know, like, for example, so if I could <laughs> do that, and it might produce the results I'm looking for. You all do the assignments because David's going to be really upset and do some sort of action against you because you fear what's, what's going to take place, you know? So really, I'm not trying to do that. In any sort of leadership position or position of influence, you have that option to... Strike fear into people in order to get what you want. But that is not what godly leaders do. It's not what the right kind of persuasive, influential leaders do. And also even thinking about hope. What one can do is kind of having a little carrot on a string, you know, and you dangle it in front of somebody, 
and then you keep kind of pulling it away from them. And they're just sort of being dragged along by their hopes, hoping that at some point you will reward them for what they're bringing to the table for you. And so those are, those are like some examples that using someone's emotions to manipulate them is not, it's not cool, guys. So that's, those are the three things. You might not see yourself in many of them. Perhaps you kind of think of an employer or a boss or some other kind of person or maybe authority in your life that has maybe done one of these and you're like, oh man, that reminds me of so-and-so. And you know, hopefully that's sort of kept you away from that. But also make sure that you are steering away from these things, even though they sound somewhat dramatic. These are just little manipulative things that we can do. We have that opportunity to do when we're given influence or when we're seeking influence. Uh, but we don't want to do that, guys. And then I have another, some extra little set of points here about influence or how not to obtain influence. And so the first of these is self-centeredness. These pride-based matters. Self-centeredness. This seems obvious, right? I don't know. Like leading from a position of or influencing from a position of, I'm trying to get what I want. You are here to serve that vision of mine. Uh, It's all about me. You know, we can see pretty clearly that that doesn't, that's not a good thing. But once again, this is something that can just sort of seep into our mindset as we are seeking to influence other people um, for good. Even it can be done so in a way, it can be brought about in a way that is seeking your own agenda, your own pride. And that's, that's not okay. And then the second here is self-consciousness, actually. First is self-centeredness. Second, self-consciousness. This one's a little less uh, obviously bad, (laughs) I think. I read this and go, okay, that's just somebody who's like kind of shy or insecure or whatever. And I've mentioned earlier that that's definitely kind of plagued my life in some way at different times. I've also been self-centered, but I've been self-conscious plenty because... What it does, self-consciousness, is it still puts this emphasis, this focus on myself. As I'm perhaps overwhelmed or just overcome with this feeling of, what does this person perceive about me? What do you think about me? I need to worry about that. I need to wrestle with that. I need to tweak all these little elements of the way that I handle myself around people so that you perceive me in just the right way or any sort of negative or awkward encounter that I have with you, man, I could just sit there. I could be all night thinking, up all night thinking about that, right? And that's the self-conscious person. Perhaps you kind of gear more toward self-centeredness. You're just trying to make it about yourself and you want to get what you want. And some of you might be more self-conscious uh, in the form of, you know, honestly, anxiety plays a role in this where you are just like kind of nervous, you're anxious about how you're being perceived, but ultimately you're, you're still making this about you. And that's kind of a hard thing to hear, to think about. But what we need to do, the cure to these things is to have others focus with self-awareness. Others focus with self-awareness. Okay, so this means that it's no longer about our 
self, either in self-centeredness, self-consciousness, just constantly thinking about ourselves in some manner, but rather my focus is on how I can add value to your life. And that's, that's my goal here in my interaction with you. That's how, I'm gonna, that's how we really obtain influence. And then with self-awareness, there is value in being self-aware to the extent that you are, you understand how others experience you so that you are kind of able to get, get this and understand this. And when something does happen and it doesn't work quite right in your interaction with somebody, you're aware of it and you can try to avoid that in the future. An example is within the past year, I was in a staff meeting with some other staff and, and challenge and multiple of them shared an idea that they had and I didn't like it. <laughs> and so what I did was I just sort of said, ah, I don't think it worked. I don't think that idea is good for this reason, this reason, this reason. And some, as I was explaining these reasons, first of all, I came off super negative and that was just a huge bummer. But second, I remember this. I, what I did was I used some quotation mark, like error, finger quotation marks about this, this problem that you're talking about, that this solves, this idea of yours. I don't think it's that much of a problem. And I kind of did that a couple times. And I don't know, in my head, I was just like, no, like this is, I'm just communicating. I don't know. That's just where my head was at. And someone in the meeting was like, can you not do that? <laughs> they just like, most people wouldn't do that. But they just called me out and said, this is, can you not do the quotation mark thing? And I was like, I was, first of all, that really like kind of threw me for a loop that they like just addressed that right there. Um, but yeah, upon, you know, kind of, analysis, it's a pretty condescending way of communicating to somebody. I didn't, I didn't see it that way. And so that's something that kind of helped me to be aware. Oh, this is what this means to people when I do it. And it's sort of, they feel mocked in some way. I need to, I gotta stop doing that. And actually, like, since that time, like, I'll kind of feel like, <laughs> I'm serious. Like in different situations, I feel the air quotes kind of come up and I sort of put, what? Because I'm trying to be self-aware about this little area where if I'm trying to, you know, and maybe there is some sort of subconscious thing deep within. I know if I can make somebody, somebody feel small about this idea, then they're not going to carry, carry it through and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win, you know? That's not this thing that I was like, oh man, I got to beat this, you know, whatever in that moment. But they, we have these like innate, uh, right? The, the heart illustration, these negative and positive desires that are just stewing and, you know, different things come out. And so we need to understand and be aware of, of things. And that does come kind of sometimes in that situation just through experience and going, oh man, like I shouldn't, I shouldn't do that anymore. And so we need to have an other's focus, really making sure that our communication and all these different things are about other people um, and be self-aware. Okay. I feel like this is sort of the moment of truth here, right? How do we obtain influence? How do we obtain influence? Let's see it on the slide. Looks, money, and swagger, right? This is my TED Talk. Have a good night. No, it's not that, is it? I came up with those in the car today. I was like, what's some funny things I can say about this? What are the real ones, John? 
Humility, <laughs> communication, and cooperation. These are three, this is not maybe exhaustive, but these are, I'm gonna walk through all of these. You don't need to flip around a bunch of pages right now. But basically, no, we're not trying to go for looks, money, and swagger. Maybe they're helpful sometimes, <laughs> establishing some influence, but they're not the goal. They're not the thing that's going to really provide long-lasting influence in people's lives, influence that has to do with our heart, has to do with our character, the way we treat people, right? And so there are plenty of, I guess, cultural ways that we can achieve greater influence with people. I mean, honestly, just the way you dress in one culture or another is going to sort of have, have to do with how people perceive you. Um, and this, there's just all these different things culturally that are going to, in some minor way, affect these, these levels of influence. But what I'm, I want to talk about tonight, along with the self-awareness, you can be self-aware about whatever other little things about, you know, how you do your hair or whatever. But what I want to talk about, the important things, are these three, humility, communication, and cooperation. And so, and with each of these, I have sort of a little question. And when I say this question... I want you to picture somebody standing in front of you and you're, you're about to go into a social interaction with that person. So number one, humility, colon, how can I honor this person and lift them up? And think about that. And that, that's probably going to differ somewhat depending on who that person is in front of you. You might be thinking of somebody, I don't know. But picture somebody there right? I'm thinking to myself, how can I, I'm staring, at, I'm staring at Joseph, how can I honor this person and lift them up, you know? And like really zeroing in on that audience, the person who has to experience you, how can you make their life better? How can you honor this person and lift them up? This is, this is cool that the uh, Tomorrow's Hard Attitude, talking about Philippians 2, 3 through 4. This is our memory verse also, right? And so this is pretty, uh, pretty well-timed, basically. But it has a lot to do with this. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, does anybody have memorized? You can, uh, you can close your eyes and do it with me if you want. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I heard a little bit. All right, that's fun. Uh, so, oh yeah, and as I go about all these, you're going to notice some extra little quotes on your page. Those are not Bible verses if they don't have a little reference under them. What they are is quotes from a particular book that I've read, I've really enjoyed. What it is, is called... How to Win Friends and Influence People. There it is right here by Dale Carnegie. This was written in the 1930s. Can you believe that? It's almost 100 years old. Wow. And it's still, it's still getting reps. It's still a good book. It has a lot. But do you know why? Because it has to do with people. <laughs> and it's, it has some very timeless truths about how to interact with people in a way that's going to win, win friends and influence people. Once again, this might sound kind of, ooh, this is kind of weird. I remember, <laughs> oh man, I remember being like, like reading this book near my sister 
at one point, and she was like, oh, that's weird. That sounds like manipulative or something like that. I was like, no, that's not the point, you know. I got all flustered. Oh, man, that was, that was not, a good, not a good time. But it's, uh, that's not the point. No, it's really, once again, just to try to make good in your world, in our world, just as you are interacting with people in the day-to-day sphere. This has to do with, you know, all these different things, your personal life, your professional, et cetera. So these quotes, the first of these that you see on there is that he says, the deepest urge in human nature is the desire to be important. Once again, it's kind of one of those very almost overstated things, right? That's sort of, can you prove that? I don't know. But it sounds legit in terms of your deepest urge, this innate urge, is to be important, right? And when I look at Philippians 2, 3 through 4, I see that here where it says, in humility, consider others better than yourselves, and so, living in a Philippians 2, 3 through 4 way, I can make you feel important in my interaction with you. That person that's kind of standing in front of you that you're approaching, how can I honor this person and lift them up? My goal is to make them feel important. Not in some sort of, so I can get my way kind of way, but that is just something deep within them. In fact, When two individuals in any social situation, if they both have this deepest urge in human nature, they can't both be the most important thing. (laughs) They can't both be the most important in that. And what's going to happen in a lot of situations is some people will try to kind of, you know, finagle their way in that conversation to try to feel more important than the other person, really. That tends to be what happens with fallible human people where we're trying to feel important and, you know, share, share a funny story or, you know, whatever kind of thing to impress somebody to make yourself feel important. And so if, if we can come into that scenario and kind of, kind of dip ourselves beneath that and go, hey, I want you to feel important, in this situation we're about to have, then that's, that's a great way for them to feel loved. They're going to come away from that interaction and going, wow, that was awesome. They're not going to be like, I feel important or anything like that, but they're going to come away from it. Man, like, that was such a good just conversation with that person that I had. It's because you made them feel important, and that's good. That's an okay thing because we're trying to consider others better than ourselves and make them believe and feel in a way that really just, you know, doesn't put you down necessarily, but just simply um, lifts them up so that they feel heard and enjoyed even. And so the deepest urge is the desire to be important. Another quote that I have here is that the world is full of people who are grabbing and self-seeking. So the rare individual who unselfishly tries to serve others has an enormous advantage. I love that because, yes, we all, in some way, naturally, by default, we're all trying to just get our own way and feel the most important. But if you and I can come into a social scenario, come into an interaction with somebody and serve them in some capacity, and that's, it's going to make them feel important. They're going to feel loved by that and served. 
And there will be an exchange of influence there that you can just use to continue to love them. And they'll, they'll come away from that feeling, wow, this is great. I really need to, you know, experience more of this person. This is a very attractive quality going on here. And then I have one more quote here. This is in the book, but from Wolf, <laughs> Rolf Waldo Emerson. There it is. Every man I meet is my desire, superior in some way. In that I learn of him. I said again, every man I meet is my superior in some way. In that I learn of him. And so that's cool. And so we can really come into situations understanding that there's all these different things that the people around you know about or have skills about that you can't compare it to. And that's okay. We all have these different gifts and skills that we bring to the table. And if you can magnify that gift or skill or piece of knowledge in another person, then that's going to make them feel, once again, loved. And you're going to learn something from that person as well. And you will benefit in some manner as well. So I'm going to, get, I'm going to set another timer. What are some ways that you can cultivate influence with someone through humility this week? Go ahead and discuss for about five minutes. Okay, let's move on. We got a little bit more left to cover. What you'll notice too, there's a lot of overlap between these three things that I'm trying to highlight here. And so it's okay that humility has a lot to do, I think, with these different other ones. And so the second one here is communication. I already said it earlier, but here it is again now, communication. And so, and I was even overhearing a little bit here, and a lot of those humble humility responses have to do with communication with people. And so there's, once again, there's some overlap here, and that's okay. I'm listening. Ooh, look out. So, Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Okay? Like, that's kind of a weird statement, honestly, but what it's saying is that the power of the tongue, well, that's your words, right? And how you choose to use words is either going to bring death to, or life to somebody, death or life. And so you choose, I suppose. <laughs> and there are ways in which we know we can bring others down and cause kind of some death for them. Uh, and there are ways that we do that that we don't really think about, like the, you know, the air quotes or whatever. And there's also ways that we can bring life into somebody, uh, somebody's life. And then with what we say, I should go back a little bit to that question at the top of communication. Once again, picture that person in front of you. You're approaching this person. What can I say or not say, right, that will add the most value to this person's life? You can also think maybe more microscopically, what's going to add the most value to this person's day, <laughs> right? What's going to leave them feeling good about the way that we communicated with each other? So like I said, this has a lot of different, you know, so, so many good things can come from how you encourage and build people up. So many negative things can come from how you bring people down, criticize them. Let's talk about that. First, encouraging people is such a great way of just showing them care, right? Um, a recent example, this is going to be pretty, I don't know. 
even rehearsing this today, I felt kind of stupid, but whatever. But on Sunday, there's a woman named Gretchen who comes to church. You guys know Gretchen? And maybe, no? Okay, great. But basically, she's a very, she's a very friendly person, uh, much more so than I am. And I remember this. She was wearing this, like, just a nice shirt. And I, I noted that in my head as she walked by. I was like, oh, that's a nice shirt. And that's it. And then later on, kind of between some services, I thought to myself, she's standing over there and I was, or, you know, over somewhere. And I was like, oh, man, I should tell her about her nice shirt because I don't know if she'd probably like that. And I was like, mm, I don't know. I think she was, she was in a conversation. Something happened. I was like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and I kind of kept going. And then later I had another opportunity and I was like, all right, David, this is kind of weird, but I just feel like I should compliment Gretchen's shirt. And so I did. And I guess she appreciated it, whatever. And who wouldn't, right? Come on. But it's, it's this thing that for myself, and I don't know how it is for you, it's kind of a difficult hurdle to get over, especially if you're not super familiar with that person. I know who Gretchen is, uh, but not a lot, right? And so that's an example in my life where just like, I got to like kind of get past something to make a positive impact in somebody's life. And it's, it's gonna, it's just a tiny little drop in the ocean in that particular context, right? But over time, as you just get to know people or a certain person, right, you know, that can, you can, that can lead to more and more influence and impact in their life. Um, so you can also add value to people's lives by asking them questions. And so this is by kind of not talking, right? And letting them have the floor because we all want to feel important, which we've discussed. And a great way to feel important is to talk about yourself. And what we usually do is do that. <laughs> I, I walk up to you and I go, oh, okay, this is, this is this thing that happened to me or uh, my funny story or whatever I got, you know, my little, in my little bag of tricks to impress you, right? Uh, and so what you can do is you can ask questions of people in order to, once again, make them feel loved, make them feel important. I know that, once again, I'm not, I got some stories. I have the negative story, but I have some positive ones too from my life. And I know that just like uh, at Sunday at the bonfire, I got to learn about uh, Beat Saber from Cameron at the bonfire because I was like, hey, what's that all about? And he got to teach me a little, he got to just tell me a little bit about, you know, what Beat Saber means to him and these different kind of aspects of that. And kind of asked some questions to tease some things out. I didn't do any of this to, you know, you know, to, to share an example or anything. Uh, and then, like, I know Eric and I were talking about skiing and golfing, which I don't do at all <laughs> at the bonfire. But I was like, hey, what's that all about? How much, how much does a, a golf club cost? Like, I don't know. He was talking about, you know, that. And I was like, how much is that? And so we got to, like, just, I just got to learn some things about that. And... And, you know, maybe, maybe these people felt loved by that. And so there's just little things that you can do in these little social scenarios that are going to communicate, like, a good message. And they're going to, once again, let you, allow you to learn from those people who are my superiors in Beat Saber and skiing and golfing and stuff like that. And so, right, James 1.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And so, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. These are three key things that we can really apply here. Maybe you can think about, is there one of these that I really need to make sure to do this week? Because 
That means being quick to listen. I'm not going to try and jut, jut in there. I'm going to try and, you know, process this whole thought that they're, they're speaking to me. I'm going to make them feel important. I'm going to be slow to speak. I'm not going to try. Once again, same, same deal. These are kind of um, two sides of the same coin. And then slow to become angry. Really making sure that I'm not getting argumentative if there is something more kind of tense uh, that's coming up in this situation. And so that's another element of this too, is that we really want to make sure that in our communication, we're not being argumentative. We're not producing negative results in this person's life, uh, a lack of value. And we see that in Philippians 2, 14 through 15, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine like as lights in the world. You shine as lights in the world. And so if you avoid grumbling and disputing, then you're going to stand out. Basically, this is what this is, what this is saying. Because once again, our desires as people tend to battle with each other and we want to feel important. And I want to get my opinion across about that argument that, we could have, or I want to, you know, kind of let off some steam about this thing I want to complain about, this negative thing that occurred to me today or in this situation we're in. But those are not going to add value. They're not going to add life to this person. And so really make sure, okay, what is going to uh, do that for them? And then if something comes to mind or if you're in the midst of a situation where you are tempted to complain, to criticize, to argue, then just with, you can withhold that. And that requires a lot of self-control. Dale Carnegie says, again, any fool can criticize, condemn, and complain, and most fools do. But it takes character and self-control to be understanding and forgiving. And so when I read that, I think of this kind of thing that I've, I don't know, I've just heard in different places, the idea of having a thick skin and a tender heart. A thick skin and a tender heart. I don't know how they're written down anywhere. But what that means is when you are offending me or, you know, saying things to me that are negative, it's hurting me in some manner, I'm going to have a thick skin, like a rhino hide or something, you know? It's just like, that's just going to bounce right off. No, nothing is going to penetrate this thick skin because I just, I'm resistant to it. I'm not worried about how you might be criticizing me or whatever. I'm going to have a thick skin. And then the tender heart I see that in this, this quote here, being understanding and forgiving. And in your dealings with people, you're not tough. You're not trying to, you know, uh, keep yourself safe necessarily. But when you are forgiving and understanding, you have a tender heart toward people as you connect. And so that's a thick skin, a tender heart. You don't want, if you have a, a tender skin, then you're easily offended and people have to walk on eggshells when they're around you. And that, I don't want to have to do that. <laughs> and if you have a, a thick heart <laughs> or a heart that is protected by layers and layers of security, of walls, then you're not going to let anybody in. And people aren't really going to be able to connect with you very well. You're not going to be very forgiving or understanding. It's different things. So continuing on, Carnegie says, which would you rather have? an academic theatrical victory or a person's goodwill. You can seldom have both. And then I got one more thing here, quote here. This is just fun. I just like this. Remember that a person's name 
is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. Byron. Hi. I don't, you know, maybe, maybe it's different when, like, <laughs> you'd get all his attention on you. Sorry about that. But I don't know. You perk up when you hear your name, right? And it's like, oh, what's that? What's going on? You know? And you hear your name across the room or whatever. And when somebody says David, then three of us in this room kind of, I'll do, I'll do that. Um, and so this is thing that you can be used to your advantage in terms of your relationships with people, your influence in people. If, you, if calling somebody by their name, in fact, in almost a weird chemical kind of way, it seems, is the sweetest and most important sound in any language to them. That's so interesting. I am, let's see, I need to continue on here. So we're going to go ahead and skip this next discussion question. But think about that. I'm just going to say it so it is in your brain. What are some ways you can improve your communication patterns so that they add value to other people? And so that is, perhaps that already came up with humility somewhat, but let's move on to the third one is cooperation. The third way of obtaining influence is cooperation with people. I don't have a group. I wasn't thrilled with my the, the word I found for this, but there it is, <laughs> cooperation. I'm going to explain it. And so picture that person in front of you again. You're walking up to them, and you want to think to yourself, how can I relate to this person on their terms? How can I relate to this person on their terms? Once again, this is very overlapping. This has a lot to do with humility and our communication with people. This is a, I got a little paragraph here from How to Win Friends and Influence People, and this is at the beginning of a chapter, and I just think this is interesting. I think it's really key, and it sums up this point well. He, Carnegie says, I often went fishing up in Maine during the summer. Personally, I'm very fond of strawberries and cream, he says. Okay. But I've found that for some strange reason, fish prefer worms. So when I went fishing, I didn't think about what I wanted. I thought about what they wanted. I didn't bait the hook with strawberries and cream. Rather, I dangled a worm or a grasshopper in front of the fish and said, wouldn't you like to have that? Why not use the same common sense when fishing for people? Bait the hook to suit the fish. I like that. That's interesting because it's a very similar, perhaps he's even quoting the Bible when he says this, fishing for people. Because in Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, he's talking to these fishermen. They're out on their boats. He's going to recruit them as disciples. He says, follow me. And he told them, and I will make you fish for people. And that is our goal, right? To fish for people, to, as I was saying earlier, to have an influence on people around us so that our lives are attractive, not for you, not for me, for Christ, so that they can feel loved, so that these people can be drawn into the love, the kind of love that Christ offers. And so that is, this is one area, this is one facet kind of, of our attempt to fish for people. And so another thing he says, the only way on earth to influence other people is to talk about what they want and show them how to get it. And so, this once again, is very similar to what we're talking about with communication and these different areas of uh, just trying to add value to people's lives. But we want to talk about what they want and show them how to get it, meet them on their terms. This is kind of the idea here. And I kind of think about this more culturally. If you're still kind of trying to grasp this, 
Here's something here too. 1 Corinthians 9, 22 through 23. So this is Paul the Apostle. And he says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things, this is the key part, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. And so we can think about these this sort of more in cultural terms. And because in the world, and in you know the U.S., in Chico, there's all different kinds of people. They all come from different backgrounds and different experiences. And if you can tailor, if you can cater your your communication and the things you do to them to make them feel most comfortable, then that's going to, that's also going to create this positive influence in their life. An example that I have, for a while I was leading a group, a ministry within Challenge called International Friendship Night. And we just had a bunch of international exchange students that we were getting to know just on a very personal, just kind of level. And there are two guys, I remember, uh, their names were Andy and Jackie, and they're from Taiwan. And they came here, and they were really friendly and stuff. And there's this uh, kind of Chinese restaurant in downtown that's kind of not the place I would normally, like, go. And I don't even remember what it's called. I'm not even sure if it's there anymore. But basically, they're like, hey, this is, like, the best spot in Chico to go for food that we like to eat or that's, you know, from our place. And I was like, sure, like, let, like, take me there. Let's go there for some lunch or something. And so I met them there. And, and yeah, it was sort of disorienting. But yes, the, the owner or something was Taiwanese. And so it was very, uh, uh, whatever, just comfortable, familiar to them. And they were, in, but in all these different ways, in ordering food and in what was even in the food, there were a lot of these areas that I was sort of just uncomfortable with. I was like, this is kind of, I'm not used to this. You know, this is not my kind of cultural, social setting that I'm used to. But I was like, okay, I can go here. I can do this with them. I can learn, once again, I can learn something in the midst of this from their culture and stuff. And uh, it can also be just, it can shine a light um, in their world. And another, I remember also too with, with Jackie, yeah, with Jackie, he was like, let's get boba. I love boba. We all, we all, all us people from Taiwan, we love boba. I was like, okay, great. I don't really like boba though. <laughs> but I'll eat boba, I'll drink boba if it means I get to relate to somebody on their terms, on their level, um, where they, they get to, you know, I get, have more of a foothold in their life to share my experience with Jesus and share the gospel. And, and that's a special thing that we can, can seek to do as we try to tailor our kind of our interests to theirs uh, and tailor situations to them. So this is some cultural kind of ways we can think about that. And we can also think about, so in terms of Paul the Apostle, he says, I become all things to all people that I might by all means save some. And so to different groups that he was around, he would sort of tailor the way that he would, he would be. He'd still be himself as Paul the Apostle or whatever, but he would make sure that he was kind of going out of his way to make them feel extra comfortable with his presence so that, um, so that by all means, he might save some. And why do we do it? 
We do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. This is a great way for us to sum up kind of what we've hopefully learned tonight about influence. We're not doing it for ourselves. We're not doing it to get a leg up in society or whatever. We're doing it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. We've been given a great gift in knowing Jesus and getting to walk with God. And I want people to, to, to know that as well, that truth, that love as well. And as I can increase my influence, I can increase my effectiveness for the Great Commission, for the gospel planted in people's lives. And um, I hope you also uh, can see that vision as well. I really encourage you, you can memorize 1 Corinthians 9, 22 through 23. It's a very powerful understanding of just what we're willing to do for other people. This isn't an assignment, it's just a thing you should do. <laughs> and so that's what I have there. Let's go ahead and, t- it's 9.56. Go ahead and just take some time, not to discuss, but rather maybe to write down, go through the notes and answer that last kind of section of questions. What are your top three takeaways from this training session? What are some questions you have about these topics that you may want to explore further? And how do you intend to practically cultivate influence in your life this week? So just, you don't need to talk about it. Just go ahead and go through your notes, write some things down so that you can apply them. Hope you guys thought of some things, wrote them down. You can keep jotting them down if you need to. Let me go ahead and pray for you all right now. Father, thank you so much for your impact, your love in our lives, in our hearts. You have drawn us to yourself through no merit of our own. And God, you enable us to do anything that we might do for your glory, God. So we acknowledge that we are in need, we're in desperate need of your spirit alone to enable us to do your work while we live here on earth. So I pray, Lord, for this group of leaders, of influential disciples of you who can cultivate influence and use it to make disciples and to make your glory known across the earth. I pray that you would increase that desire within us and help us to remain humble in this task. And uh, I pray that you would enable us this week even to just change the way we think so that we can uh, live in a way that is glorifying to you and loves others and makes them feel loved by our, our actions, by our communication, by our service, God, whatever it may be. I pray that that would just be made a reality, a greater reality in all of our lives and that we could um, continue to be used by you to impact the world for good, for your glory. In your name, amen.